give me my wife so I can go into her. You, give me children or I'll die. Give me love. Give me mandrakes. Mandrake? Give me mandrakes. I love this stuff. Don't you love this stuff? Give me, give me, give me. I need, I need. You have, I want it. Give me. I got it. And the winner is. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. <laughs> so, she named him Natali. My struggle. The end. The end? Oh no, <laughs> wait, there's more. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her maid, gave her to Jacob as a wife, and then that maid bore, bore Jacob a son, and then Leah said, oh, good fortune, so more naming, named him Gad. Leah's, name bore, uh, uh, Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. She got happy again. Happy am I, she says, for the women will call me happy, so she names him Asher. And then the days of wheat came around, you know how that is. And Reuben, one of the sons, went, he found some mandrakes and Aphrodite out in the field. He brought them to his mother Leah, but on the way Rachel saw what was happening. She said, hey, give me some of those mandrakes. That's the mandrakes. <laughs> she said, hey, give me some of those mandrakes, but Leah said to her, oh, no, no. <laughs> you think it's a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my mandrakes also? Rachel says, all righty then. He can go in and sleep with you tonight. Just give me some of those mandrakes. And so when Jacob comes in from the field, Leah goes out and says, uh-uh-uh, you're coming into bed with me because I hired you with some of my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night, and God heeded Leah again. She conceived and bore Jacob a fifth, count him, five sons. Leah said, God has given me hire because I gave my maid to my husband. So she named him Issachar, of course. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good dowry. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. And afterwards, she bore a daughter named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel and God heeded her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son. And then she said, God has taken away my reproach. She named him Joseph saying, May the Lord add to me another son. The end. The end. Oh, no, wait, there's more. <laughs> Leah had many children, and Kristen remained childless. And Leah envied Kristen because of her accomplishments, but Kristen envied Leah because of her family. And though they love each other, they struggle in their love. They're beset by envy. They're sorrowful. They're confused and distant. They remain distant today. They long for each other, but they're resigned that the kind of love they have for each other can't prevail in their story. That's the story. The end. Oh, no, wait. That's my story. That's my story. So whose story is it? Jacob's story? Was that, wasn't that Jacob's story we started with? But then it was Leah's story, but then kind of Rachel's story, then kind of my story. Maybe, maybe your story? Give me some mandrakes. Is that your story? 
The Bible's full of stories. Full of stories. People, stories of struggling and journeying and resisting and saying no and saying yes and being faithful and being joyful and being disappointed and being confused and making good choices and bad choices and running away and running back and seeking and longing. It is a story after story after story of people sharing the stories of their lives. The Bible is full of stories of prevailing and failing and prevailing and failing again and again. Oh wait, there's always more. Oh wait, there's always more. But sometimes we don't think so. Sometimes we put in the end instead of, oh wait, there's always more. Oh no, oh no. My sister and I, it's just like that between us, always has been. Ever since we were growing up and her dad was around and mine was not. And I always had to be the one that didn't have a dad and she had the one that had the love that I wanted. She had the thing that would make me okay. That story, the end. That's the story, right? So of course, makes sense that we don't get along. Well, kind of we do, but we can't. You know what I mean? Because that's the story. That's our story. The end. The end. Why? Why do we tell these stories? Why do we come to church to listen to stories? We're seeking, we're longing, we're needing, we're hoping, we're celebrating, we're reaching, we're stretching, we're wondering, we're doubting, somehow to connect with God. And so we come and listen to stories. Because if we listen carefully, maybe, I suspect that Jacob's story, which was also Esau's story, which was also Abraham's story, which was also everybody's story before him that became also Rachel and Leah's story, that became stories after him, that became my story and my sister's story, that maybe is becoming your story or has a version that is also your story. Maybe because when we come here, we might hear in and through all these stories, God's story. Maybe. Today I want to ask you, whose story are you really telling? What's your story? How's it end? The end? Or, oh wait, there's more. What's your story? And whose story is it really, anyway? Is it God's story? Is it some other story? What's Leah's story? Bottom line, what's going on with Leah? Come on, you guys can talk. What's Leah's story? I'm nothing without my husband's love. One baby, two baby, three baby, four baby, five baby. I still don't have my husband's love. I'm nothing without my husband's love. And what's Rachel's story? Just the same story with a twist, right? I'm nothing without my husband's children. 
I'll do anything to get some of those kids. I need a kid. Make me okay. What's their story? I'm nothing without dot, dot, dot. I can't experience love unless dot, dot, dot. I, 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 I can't be happy because dot, dot, dot. So, is it still your story? Still your story? Is it God's story? Whose story is that? Whose story is it anyway? And what happens in the story, right? When that's the story, I cannot unless, I'll never because. When that's my story, what happens? Depression, estrangement, despair, manipulation, competition, striving, prevailing, only to fail, only to prevail, to fail, prevail, fail, circling round and round. It's a story that gets locked up somewhere, gets locked up in that I can't because. It'll never unless. I'm worth nothing. That's my story. And the thing about it is, that's not the story we want, is it? Or is it? Whose story is it? It's not the story we want really, right? But we're so funny, aren't we? Us human people. We have this thing that we really, really do long for and we want and we desire, like love, like a sense of worthiness. We really want that. And so our story starts to unfold with the plot of how we're going to get that. And then the story becomes the story of how we get that. And we forget that it's a story about love, and that it's a story about worthiness. And all of a sudden, it's become the story of how to get that. It's no longer the story of love. It's the story of, I need to get those mandrakes and get my husband in here. It's no longer a story about worthiness. It's, I need to have another baby to make sure that I am proving myself. I need to do something more to prove myself. I need to make sure that somebody's indebted to me so I can prove myself. I need to make sure that you will never leave me so I can prove myself. I need to make sure, I need to make sure. That's my story. Forget that. No. The story started out being about worthiness. And I start to mistake the means for the end. And I get locked up in a story that goes and goes the end. Yesterday at Adult Vacation Bible School, we engaged this question from a particular angle. There's a writer and teacher named Byron Katie, who does something called The Work. I recommend it to you. I'm just going to share a little bit with you in this moment because I actually want to take Leah and Rachel and do a little work with them. Don't you? Don't you? They need some work. Let's do a little work with them. Easier to work on them than, well, you know what I'm saying. So 
Byron Katie asks us to consider our stories and ask some questions about it, and she gives us four suggested questions. And they go like this. Is it true? Okay, so we'll just start with Leah's story. I am nothing without my husband's love. Is it true? Okay, just in case we're going to kind of slide by that one, she gives us question number two. Can you absolutely know that it's true? No. And then she asks something really interesting. Well, who would you be without that thought? So we ask Leah, who would you be without the thought? Or no, I skipped. It's the bold. It's tricking me up. We ask first, how do I react when I believe that thought? Right? So how does Leah react when she believes the thought that she's nothing without her husband's love? How does Rachel react when she believes the thought that she's nothing without these children? What is the reality that gets produced? What's the story that gets created with their lives? Happy story? Not so much. Exhausting story. A story about never being able to get the thing that they say that they really, underneath it all, desire. That love and worthiness. So that's who we are when we believe it, maybe. So then the last question is, who would you be if you didn't believe it? Listen for a moment. Imagine for a moment. Who could you be if you didn't believe that locked-up story? Just imagine. Don't have to do anything yet this moment. She might be a little bit more at ease with herself, Leah, right? She might have a little more room in her life to be in relationship with her sister, with her children, with her husband, with her own self, with her life, instead of having her whole life taken up with pursuing the locked up story. And Rachel, who would she be without that thought? She might actually be able to enjoy all that love her husband has for her. She might be able to actually feel grateful and blessed instead of empty and wanting. She might, asking some questions like this. So what about you? How do you fill in those blanks? I can't be happy unless dot, dot, dot. I'm not worth anything if I don't, if I can't. I won't be happy because dot, dot, dot. How do you fill it in? And what happens when you ask the questions? Whose story are you telling? So it's very interesting to ask these things, but Byron Katie does something even more intriguing, I think. She asks that we turn it around, that we get out of the locked up position we're in by twisting it. She says, take the story and turn it around a couple times. And each time you turn it around, listen. Is there some truth in a different version of the story? What are you not hearing about your own story or the possibilities for your own story? Turn it around. And it seems kind of silly at first. It's a funny process. But it would go something like this. Leah would say, I am nothing without my husband's love. And then Byron Katie would say, well, just turn that inside out and try this. My husband is worth nothing without my love. All right. So what truth could that open up for her? 
it could open up some truths I heard a while. These are not the only thing, but it could open up for her, could it not, the truth that the only value she sees in her husband now is if he loves her the way that she is looking for, which she's already decided he can't do. So she who now feels unworthy is actually not valuing, lifting up, feeling blessed by her husband because he's supposed to do something for her that she's already decided he is not doing and therefore he is no longer worth anything to her. Huh. She says, turn it around three times. What about, I am worth nothing with my husband's love? Hmm. What might that open up? Maybe it has nothing to do with my husband's love. Maybe this is the story I tell myself, and I call it my husband. I might need to think on that a little bit. What if we turn it around again? Let's just keep it simple. I am worthy without my husband's love. Huh. What happens to the locked door there? Might swing open. A new story might be possible. A story that doesn't say the end. A story that might say, wait, there's more. I am worthy without my husband's love. What might happen? And we could do the same thing with Rachel, couldn't we? We could just turn it all around. My husband is worth nothing without my children. I'm worth nothing with my husband's children. I am worthy without my husband's children. All different kinds of ways to find some space to realize there are new stories available. New stories available. The catch is this. Rachel and Leah, they're in love with their stories about what isn't. I'm going to say that again. They're in love with their stories about what isn't. It isn't enough. It isn't happening. It isn't changing. It's, it, isn't, it isn't better. They're in love with their stories about what isn't. And somehow they think by attaching to the story about what isn't, it will get them where they want to go to what is. Craziness, isn't it? Craziness I recognize. How about you? Somebody say yes. Say amen. Okay. All right. Thank you. I feel a little bit better. Turning it around is what we try to do just to find out that what we're looking for could very well be right here. What I will say is, it for sure, as anything, is not somewhere else. What we're looking for can only be gotten to from where we are. God cannot do for us what we resist for ourselves. And here's the thing. We resist for ourselves, don't we, what we believe that God can't do for us. Think about it. Think about the stuff that you resist for yourself. It can't happen because. Do you believe God could do it for you? Have you really, really tried it on that God could do it for you? A lot of times the answer is no, if we're honest. Because it's hard to believe that God could do for us what it is we're resisting in ourselves because we're not usually staying right present with what God is already doing for us.
It's hard to believe that God is going to do something when we're not paying attention to what God is doing right now. When we're so busy looking elsewhere for what's supposed to happen or can't happen or should or shouldn't happen, instead of staying right here in this moment and saying, what is God doing right now? Because if I can recognize what God is doing right now, I just might trust that God could do another thing right now. I just might offer this thing for right now. I just might open my story so that it could become God's story too. And a new story. Wait, there's more. Until we can see what God is doing for us, we cannot see that love and worthiness is ours now. And aren't all of our stories some story about can't, because, unless, around those things? So, there we go. What's the good news? Feeling good? What's the good news? When I come to church, a lot of times what my experience of the good news is, is the word from Jesus' story. Jesus' story is often the place where I find the good news, and guess what? Sarah's story, I mean, Rachel's story, and Leah's story, those stories, they took up too much space and time for any Jesus story today. And isn't that the way it works? When our stories get all the space and time, when our stories take all of our attention and energy and figuring and struggling, there is just not much space for the Jesus story. Amen? So, now that we've acknowledged that, I'll just give you a little something to take home with you. If we had had time for the Jesus story today, which I'm going to suggest we are, but anyway, if we had time for the full story, you would have heard a story familiar to you. A story that Jesus tells about faith the size of a mustard seed and what is possible in that. That one little bit of giving it to God can make for a whole new, wait, there's more story. So, the good news is this. We don't have to rewrite the book. We just have to stop writing the story that goes the end and be open to the story of our lives, which is in God's book, which we can open with faith the size of a mustard seed. Amen. Amen.